Amen. Uh, I wanted to just take a second and just read quickly uh, Ezekiel 37. Um, we just sang this uh, passage of scripture, but I want to emphasize something here. And, and Pastor Greg kind of alluded to this in his prayer as well. And it's absolutely wonderful what God does in bringing new life, amen, and resurrecting our dry bones. Uh, but I want to focus here because it, it does, in an amazing way, tie into where we're going to start here in just a moment. Uh, Ezekiel 37, you don't need to turn there or anything. I'm just going to read a couple of verses, but it says here, And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again, he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And as you read on from there, he begins to prophesy the word of the Lord and, and these bones begin to come alive. And it's very detailed uh, what happens there in the text. Ezekiel gives us a lot of detail about how the flesh and all of that begins to appear on the bones. And it's kind of a pretty crazy like thing to see, right? We read scripture, we're like, oh, that's cool. It's like, imagine you're seeing that like some bones, and then from the inside out, it begins to become a, a human being again, a man uh, with flesh and blood and all of that. And so as this is happening, what I want to emphasize, though, is where we're going to go in just a moment. What was it that brought those bones to life? It wasn't Ezekiel, right? It wasn't Ezekiel. It wasn't his power. It wasn't his wisdom. It wasn't his doing. It wasn't because he spoke his words over them. What turned these dead, dry, lifeless bones and quickened them and made them alive was what? The word of the Lord. He says, prophesy the word of God over them. The word of God before us, but in the moment of a living, walking, talking person again. It wasn't your doing. You didn't resurrect yourself from the grave. Amen. It was the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what is that faith? That faith is salvation. That is also sustaining faith. So when the gospel, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached to dry dead bones, what is it the spirit of God does? He quickens us. He makes us alive in Christ. Ephesians 2, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but God quickened me through Christ. You see, we, we don't come to God and go, I need a little help, Lord. I need a little better life. I need a, a, a better future. I need a, a, a higher quality of life. No, we are before God as dead men and women in our sin, in our wickedness. And it's the word of God that's spoken to us. And the spirit of God applies that to our hearts and minds. And then we now can respond in faith and say, yea, Lord, I, I receive the gospel that's being preached to me. I ask that you'd forgive me of my sins and make me a new creature. You see, it's the word of God that changes us from those dry bones. And so here's an encouragement to you. And this isn't even in the notes. When you get out in the world this week, people don't need your opinion first and the word second. The people you see that live wickedly, that don't have Christ, that are making decisions that are harming them, harming others, that are living in ways that are just so full of sin and brokenness, shame and guilt. They don't need you to tell them your opinion on how to get better. They just need you to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we share the word of God with someone, it is the spirit of God that resurrects them and makes them a new creature. And so as we're going to get into in just a moment here, and you can go ahead and turn there if you'd like, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be there in just a moment. We're going to start with our kind of our base text. This is the text that we're starting with. Uh, last week, we'll, we'll reference this unless the Lord leads differently uh, every week of the series. But I want to ask you a question as we're getting into the text in just a moment. You don't need to answer out loud. You don't need to raise your hand. I just want to ask you, how are you doing on that commitment or that decision or that desired change that the Lord led in your life starting either last week or even coming into this new year? How are, how are you doing on that? So just take a moment, think about how you're doing on that. Uh, maybe you feel like the Lord wants you to be in the word more. And you feel like God wants you to, to get back into the word or back into prayer and study and, and kind of spend some quality time with him every single day. And, and you decided, you know what, Lord, this new year, I'm going to commit that time to you. I'm going to give you the first 15 minutes of the day. And I'm going to spend that with you. And I always encourage this 15 minutes. If you take 15 minutes a day when you first get up or maybe for you, you're not a morning person. Any non-morning people in the room. Okay. Amen. Some of you would have your hands held higher, but it's too early. You're like, I can only get to here because I'm still waking up. Okay. For some of you, morning is not the best time to really dive into your devotional time. And I know what you've been taught. No, we got we to gotta dive into the word and have that, you know, two-hour, 5 a.m. Bible study if you really want to be used of Jesus. For some of us, waking up in the morning, and you can even do this on your phone, or maybe you just want to spend a moment just really quickly flipping to a verse that the Lord laid on your heart, maybe something you've been reading through. Maybe you just don't even open the word, but maybe you just spend a moment just dwelling on the word that, that maybe you were studying the day before. And you just say, Lord, help me to live this out today. And you spend a few moments thinking on that. You spend a few moments in prayer, some time in worshiping him. So maybe for you, morning isn't the best time to do this. But if you are more of a morning person, I always recommend 15 minutes, five minutes of prayer, five minutes of in his word, and five minutes of prayer. I promise you, not because I think it's a great strategy or some other spiritual guru thinks this. The word of God tells us that when we start our day focusing on him and spend our day living and dwelling in his realities and what he has for us, it will radically change how you approach your day. Could you imagine if you spent every day 10 minutes in prayer and that you can spend all kinds of times in God's word if you feel led to or have the opportunity to? But start there. So maybe for you, you've started a change like that. You want to endeavor to make this commitment. So again, how are you doing on that? Uh, having goals is great, but if we never stop to evaluate where we are in achieving the goal, we most likely won't achieve the goal. We have to evaluate and ask ourselves those questions. Now, I want to encourage you. How are you doing on maybe not only creating new habits, but getting rid of the old habits? Maybe trying to, to stop doing certain things or, or quit this behavior or, or stop that habit or break this cycle that you've seen in your family for maybe even generations. I want to encourage you today, wherever you are, maybe you're here this morning, you're like, man, preacher, I'm doing great. Like, I can't believe how, how good God has been to me to keep me on track and keep me focused. And it's been awesome to see. Amen. Uh, keep going. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, preacher, I was, I was doing so good. I was doing so good. And then life happened or this happened or I slipped up or I thought I had victory over that old habit. And then I, I, I kind of just stumbled into it. And I didn't even know what was going on. So I was like, oh, I did it again. I want to encourage you today, whether you're succeeding in Christ and you're seeing these goals accomplished or you're struggling and you slipped up, don't quit. So many times we're like, yeah, but I blew it. Okay, we all blow it. Don't let it compound now. Don't let one day of blowing it turn into two. Don't let two turn into four. You get what I'm saying? Don't let one defeat 
keep you from where God is leading you. And that's the beauty of grace. If the Lord is leading you to make that change in your life, then he can and will give you the strength to endure and have victory in that area of your life. Last week, we started out our series by understanding that we hold within our hands the greatest resource of growth that we could ever need, and that is the Word of God. So let's dive into our base text this morning, and we're going to spend just a couple minutes here, and then we'll move into some, our, our new passage for this morning, but I want to start here. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, in the seats around you, there are some Bibles. You can grab one of those, open that up to page 840. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, that's page 840. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 3. Again, a very famous passage. Look at verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be, man or woman of God, may be perfect truly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that in old time, the word came by the prophets as they spoke and, and communicated for you to humanity. And we thank you that those words were recorded for us in scripture. We thank you that in the New Testament, that you spoke through your apostles, that you gave them that discernment by the working of the Holy Spirit to write down these words for us, your church. But Lord, greater than that, we thank you that you, the very mind of God, the very desires of God, like, like the, the heart of the Father was displayed and manifested through you, as you came and, and lived and dwelt among us and you spoke the very words of God to us, you didn't speak through a prophet or an apostle, but you, God in the flesh, spoke. And so we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your word. Father, may it mean so much to us and may it be seen as such a valuable treasure that we would not neglect it, but we would give diligent time to it, seeking to understand by the working of your spirit we can't understand what needs the English language and understand what the words mean, but to apply them and to see wisdom come from them, Lord, we need your spirit. So we thank you that in the moment of salvation, when we trusted Christ, you gave us your spirit. And Holy Spirit, thank you for indwelling us and enduring with our foolishness, our faithful uh, lack of faithfulness, for enduring with us in our times of doubt and confusion, for giving us wisdom and guiding us into the truth of the word. And so we pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. Thank you for this time of gathering. For these that have come out this morning, I pray you'd bless them in a mighty way. For those that are watching online, again, Lord, I pray you'd bless them in a mighty way. Thank you for our church family. A desire to come and worship you. Again, Lord, to lift you up is such a blessing. And may we see this time as valuable. So, Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, I pray they would come to receive Christ today. Hearing the word of God, knowing that they have fallen in sin, that there is none righteous, no, not one. That we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death, separation from you for all eternity in a place of hell. 
but the gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ our Lord. And that anyone of any background, of any sin struggle, of any age, can call upon the name of the Lord, which is simple repentance, turning from sin and trusting in Christ, asking to be saved, falling before you, admitting their sin, and asking you to save them. And you will, according to your word, you say you will save them, and you will grant unto them eternal life, so that you and your grace may be glorified. Father, work in all of these things, and again, all for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in our opening text, uh, we read this last week, and we really dove through each one of those terms that are the things that make the Word of God profitable for us. It's inspired, which means God breathed, and so instantly it becomes valuable and profitable because it's spoken out by God. But then the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy here, who's communicating this to the local church, tells us the, some specific things that the Word of God does for us that shows that, that it is profitable. And we walked through each one of these things last week and what each one means. Now, I, I need to say, I absolutely loved some of the feedback I got last week, even just before I even left the building. So many, uh, a handful of people, rather, were coming over to me and just sharing so many great uh, truths and things about the passage that we were in that, that I loved it. It was awesome. And it led me to do a little more studying this week into that passage. And, and if you're like me, you get a passage like this and you go, I, I got that pretty well figured out, right? It's two verses. It's pretty straightforward. I got this. I fall into that trap all the time. And I'm always amazed that when I put a little more study in or maybe hear someone else's opinion on a passage, it causes me to maybe think about it a little bit differently, to go read a little more about it and not just assume that I have all the answers. Amen. Uh, so you have all the answers. That's why you're not amening. I got it. Okay, good. Um, you're like, you lost us. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, we got this thing. So, okay, I'll preach it to me now. That's fine. But here in this text, I love the feedback that I, I got. And, and one of the things that was pointed out to me last week that I absolutely loved was found in verse 16. And it's dealing with this idea of the word correction. Now, there was another aspect that caused me to do some studying. I was actually talking to a couple people on Wednesday night about this. But this is the other aspect of this passage that jumped out to me. So the word correction here. Now, now last week, what we said was that the word of God reproves us. It gives us reproof. And it kind of rebukes us of our sin. So when I'm in sin, either as an unbeliever, I believe the word convicts us of our sin. And the spirit uses the word to do that. Or as a believer, I can stumble into sin. And I may be trying to walk that line, okay? Don't raise your hand, don't nod, don't do anything outwardly to let me know that you know what I'm talking about, okay? You're fine. But we've all probably been here in our lives where we know I'm saved, I'm in Christ, but there's this sin that I'm struggling with and I kind of dabble my toe over here a little bit and then I'm back over here with Jesus and then I kind of dabble, right? Or bitterness or, or harsh words, right? By the way, husbands who are in Christ, remember the Bible says that if you don't show grace to your wife as, as a gift from God, a co-heir with Christ, but also it says as a weaker vessel, not weaker physically necessarily, but meaning more, more um, tender to treat with nourishment. Okay. You're caring for this woman that God has given you. If you don't do that, your prayers can be affected according to Peter's words in his epistle. And so maybe it's something as simple as that, or maybe it's something very, very serious. I don't know what it is, but as Christians, we know though, when we get into the word of God or we start spending time in prayer, what will the spirit do? The spirit will correct us, will rebuke us. And that rebuke is so good and so needful. Amen. Uh, we need the spirit of God to rebuke us because we struggle and we need the spirit to show us where we need to change for God's 
glory. And this word correction is similar to the word rebuke. Although we talked about last week, it's not just showing or exposing sin in our lives. It's offering a solution. It's offering an opportunity for grace. And after service last week, I was talking to somebody and they said, man, you know, when I read through this passage and I was studying that word correction, this also jumped out to me. And I thought, that's amazing. Like, I can't believe I've missed that truth all this time. And so this person was like, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Like, if you look at this word, it actually means this too. And I was like, wow, I can't wait to share that with the church. And so you're probably wondering what it is. So I'll stop telling you there is something awesome and just tell you what it is. Good idea? Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Somebody's like, please, I've been waiting and waiting. I've been, I'm going to write it down. So like, what do you want me to say? So here's the idea here. As we said, this word doesn't merely speak to exposing what's broken in our lives and sin, but offering a solution for our sin. Now, while that's true, a deeper and fuller expression of this word correction carries the idea of something being restored to an upright or right state. I love that. Something being restored to an upright or right state. You could say it this way. Something being restored to its proper state. Now, part of this word in the original Greek language, which Paul would have been writing in, specifically talks about, and this is more of a a quote from part of this word in the Greek, which a lot of times in Greek, there's parts of the word. They'll take part of this kind of a part of the word and this part of the word, and they'll combine them and they'll make like a compound word. But if you dive into those specific things, you get a little bit deeper understanding sometimes. And here's what part of that word is referring to. The word that Paul used for correction. It means this deformed person. So part of this word, when it talks about correction, it's referring to correcting or restoring something or someone that's been deformed. Another way of saying this is that something that was needing to be restored was restored or built new. Built new. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, what Paul's saying here, that the word of God does this for us. That it takes us and it restores us to a proper state. That it, that it creates something new out of what was once deformed and broken. And the way it was described was it's not just merely if you were a kid and you knocked something over that broke when your parents weren't home. And you real quick go, oh no, I got to fix this before mom and dad gets home. So you just go grab some glue and you try to glue it back together and you think it looks awesome. They'll never know. Mom and dad walk in the door. What's the first thing mom says? Who broke it? Because it's obviously like one piece is upside down and glued in and the lines don't match and the glue's pouring out, right? But to you, it looks great. Like they'll never, ever know. And to me, when this person was talking to me and they kind of alluded to this, this is what comes to mind. God doesn't pick us up of our sin and just glue us back together. I've heard that before. Well, he puts the pieces back together. No, he does better than that. He makes us a whole new piece. There's no lines that are glued together and you can still see some of that. All things are new. All things are passed away. He doesn't just glue together some of our broken pieces of our life. No, he says, in the spirit of God, I'm going to make you a whole new creature. Now, we still feel broken. We still feel those cracks and those hurts and those failures. And in the flesh, we're going to always feel those things. But know who you are in Christ. You are a new creature. And so when we give in to sin, we're going against who we really have been restored to be. We're going against our true identity of who we are in Christ. And yet, in Christ, 
will never be broken. See, this is what we think. We think, well, I was restored, and then, oh, I fell into sin, so I broke again. And then God had to pick me up and put me back together, and I broke again. No, no, no. There's no such thing. We are restored once in Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. Because I know you and me and all of us that we've struggled in sin or we've given into sin, we don't really believe that. We think we have to be restored again. No, no. How many times did Christ die on the cross? How many times do we need to receive Christ's death as payment for our sin and be saved in Christ? Once. How many times are we restored? Once. When we drift into sin, we're forgetting that we've already been restored. So what happens when we confess our sins and repent of our sins? He draws us back into the right thinking, the right way of living, and says, this is who you really are. That never changed because you drifted into sin. That placing you into right and proper position, that didn't change because you went and sinned. God doesn't change his mind about you in Christ. He he's already knows who you are. He has saved you, redeemed you, and keeps you in his hand. And if you're in his hand, you can never be broken again. Now, what's the reality? We feel broken. We feel less than. We feel like that piece of maybe ceramic that's been shattered and broken and glued back together that nobody really wants anymore. They just kind of push it off on the side. It's collecting dust. We feel like that. That's not your identity in Christ. You are made new. You are restored to right standing. That's what the gospel does for us. It restores us to our proper and right state. No longer broken and cracked, but whole and complete. Again, Christ doesn't merely glue us back together. He creates a whole new us. We are one in him. So, about halfway through, a little bit longer, we're going to see how far we go this morning. With that as a baseline, and I really wanted to spend some time there because I really feel like this is huge for a lot of believers. You're, the way you view yourself in Christ makes a huge impact on how you live for Christ. If you don't really believe that you've been fully restored and completely made whole, you'll live as though you're broken. And so you'll compromise and you'll lower your standards and you'll make compromising decisions because you think you're not really worth enough. But if you know who you are in Christ, and this isn't about human pride, that you're just so awesome God had to save you, not that thinking. No, 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 but you were broken and you are in sin and you were in sin and you had no chance of hope, no eternal life. And he restored you because he loves you that much and so his grace would be displayed throughout all eternity. That he would be glorified. And if you forget that, you will live in a way and make decisions that affect future consequences, future outcomes. You'll devalue yourself, you'll compromise, and you won't see yourself as Christ sees you. And this plays out in all kinds of ways. You'll let people treat you in ways they should never treat you because you think, well, I'm just not, you know, that, I'm not really worth all that much. You'll let people hurt you in ways and continue to hurt you because you think that's all you're worthy of. You'll give in to sins because you think, what's, what's going to be better than this? No, 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 there's so much more in Christ. Don't see yourself as, as broken, glued back together, kind of holding it together. You are a new creature, restored to the right standing with God. So with that as our baseline, realizing that there is nothing that can separate us from Christ. And that includes 
failing to follow through on that commitment perfectly that you made here a couple weeks ago. I want us to see how we can, by grace, get unstuck from the rut, feeling like we just can't change. We've all felt stuck in life. We've all felt like we're just in a rut. We start to see progress in an area, and then we fall back into old habits. We start the Bible reading plan, and by early March, we've already stopped. This is anything new. And if this is you, you're in good company, and there is a solution to get unstuck. Let's go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. So go back to your left in the New Testament there, and you'll see Romans there. Just keep going back through Paul's letters there. So you'll go through the Corinthian letters, and then you'll end up in Romans chapter 7. I apologize, I did not write down the page number in our Bibles there in the seats for you on this reference. But if you would just go backwards, like I said, to your left, you'll find it there after Acts and before Corinthians. So Romans chapter 7, let's start in verse 15. A familiar passage again, but I believe it shows us what it looks like to be stuck. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For that which I do... I allow not, for what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the Lord, or unto the law, that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, so he's speaking about the flesh and the spirit now. There's two realms here he's kind of referring to. He's saying, in my flesh, in my natural body, to perform that which is good, I find not. I think we've all been there. He says, I know what I need to do, and I want to do it, but I can't find the way to do it. He goes to say this in verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So there's that flesh again. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now don't stop there. Let's go to verse eight or chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore. So after all of that, after all of that, I'm not doing what I want to do, and I'm doing what I don't want to do, and I get stuck in these ruts of life, and I'm not really living according to what I know I should be doing. With my mind, I serve the law of God. I, I love God. With my inward man, I'm serving God. But with my flesh, with my body, members, I find myself doing things I shouldn't be doing, and I hate those things. I don't want to do those things. There's a war in me. Even after all of that, therefore, because all of that is true, look at verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now again, there's a translational thing here where the King James translation, uh, the translators expounded on what it means to be in Christ. We see this again later in chapter 8. 
But in a lot of translations, your translation specifically, it may stop after Christ Jesus. And there, you may not have that phrase, who walked not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's not a contradiction in scripture. It's merely the King James translators expounded on what that means, which is found later in the text. Some translations did not include that because it is included later in the text. But here's the point. So many people read chapter 8, verse 1 as a condition. That there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus if you walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And if you walk after the flesh or do anything that's sinful, you have somehow lost that relationship with Christ. And now you're condemned. That's not what Paul says. It's not a condition of what he's saying. He's saying, because we have no condemnation, because we are in Christ Jesus, we are able to walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. He says this in Galatians chapter 5. That we have the spirit of God, so we can walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. We can, we can actually live in a way that will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Not because of willpower or my ability, but because of the spirit in me. Now, I needed to go there because when we read chapter 7 and we read all that back and forth, it's important to note that Paul says, even though we struggle with sin, even though with our minds we know what we need to do and we're serving him with our hearts, but yet we struggle with our physical lives, we might stumble into a sin decision. I need to expound on the fact that that doesn't change, again, your position in Christ. If you sin as a believer and are not convicted, meaning there's no spiritual conviction that that word, that action, that habit is wrong, and you can continually sin in ways that completely dishonor and displease the Lord, and there's no conviction based on the word of God, I would suggest to you to strongly prayerfully consider you may not be in Christ. A few moments ago, I talked about a broken uh, vase or for the fancy in the room, vase, wherever you may fall on that debatable issue. And I talked about the fact that sometimes we think that God just glues us back together and puts us up and it's, you know, like when kids break something and they try to make it work real quick. Do you know, when I think about that, that to me sounds more like religion than what Jesus does. See, religion tries to glue the pieces back together. And we think it looks great, but before the Father, it looks like a broken vase. It's not really restored. It's just kind of half-hearted, put together, sort of there. See, that's what religion does. So for some, maybe you grew up and you are religious. The, the popular term today is spiritual. I'm spiritual. And you think, I'm good, I'm fine. But if you can sin and not be convicted by the Spirit, then you might be spiritual or religious, but you may not be a Christian. If I'm a Christian and I give in to sin and I make a sin decision, there, there is instant conviction. I'm not talking about shame or guilt because you got caught doing something. I'm talking about that spiritual inward weight of you know between you and God that was wrong. Not because it hurts you. When I start and start thinking about sin and how it grieves my father's hearts, I found myself giving into sin a whole lot less. Because I started realizing, no, no, this is about your glory and your honor. And what does Ephesians say? That, that we would be a displaying of God's grace to all generations. But if we willfully sin and think we're fine, then we're making grace vain. Romans 6, Paul says, you don't sin that grace may abound. God forbid. And so here we need to understand that, yes, as a Christian, we can give into sin and we can stumble into sin. But there's conviction 
And when that conviction comes, it will do two things. It will remind us of the need of repentance to turn from that sin, and it will make available to us the knowledge of grace for the forgiveness of that sin. Not being saved again, but reminding us our Father never left. He's still with us. He's still going to be there for us. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, period. Even after Paul says, I still struggle in this. He's stuck in a rut. So I want to give you just a couple things quickly, and then we're going to move into communion in just a few moments. This here is a famous moment of confession in Romans 7 for the Apostle Paul that he admits he struggles with staying consistent and doing the things that he should while avoiding the things he shouldn't. Now, let me say again, this is in no way giving us an excuse for sin. All sin must be repented of in the believer's life and strived to be abstained in the life of the believer. This is an encouragement because when you do feel stuck in a cycle of failure, you are not alone. So when you want to get unstuck, and if you're following along in notes on on the app there, that's the first main point. So yes, it's taken us this long to get to the first main point. But praise God, I pray you've been blessed by his word so far. When you want to get unstuck, there's, there's kind of a key thing we need to look at for this whole series. And here's the basic idea. Real change isn't behavior modification. So when we want to get unstuck, we need to understand that real change isn't behavior modification. We do not want to merely stop committing a certain behavior in and of itself. We want to go beyond the surface and see an inward change. So many times we approach a desired change from the outside in and get discouraged when over time we drift back into that old habit. Real change isn't behavior modification. Real change is spiritual transformation. So real change isn't behavior modification, just starting and stopping the behavior. Real change is spiritual transformation. So as followers of Christ, our entire lives are surrendered to Christ as an offering. This means our relationships, our bodies, our finances, our interests, our schedules are ultimately led by the Lord for his glory. So what we do with our bodies, and something I'm learning as I'm getting older that I need to be better at, and I'm praying for wisdom on this, and he's been so good to me so far to help me with this, it's not just what I do with my bodies physically, it's what I put in my bodies. If we put trash in, we're not going to get great results. And I fought that for a long, long time. Now I'll be fine. Double bacon cheeseburger. What's the problem with that? Grease. Man, that's like God's lubricant. Like it just helps everything. You know, it's fine. No, 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 no. What do I do with my finances? No, no, I give God my 10% in the 90s mine, right? No, 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 no. 100% is God's. You're just a steward of what he's given you. How I treat my children, how I treat my wife, how I treat those in the church, how I lead and function as a pastor. All of it is part of my relationship with Christ. It's all an overflow of that relationship. And so what I do with those things, how I approach those things, are all a reflection of my walk with Christ. These are not little boxes we have for different parts of our life that we can kind of segregate over here and over there. No, no, it's all for his glory. And so when we talk about changing or seeing change in these things... We won't that addiction, that habit on our own. We will not conquer that addiction on our own. We will not see our lives be all that they can be for the Lord on our own. 
Paul admits this in Romans 7, verse 25, and the NLT translates it this way. When he was expressing his frustration with his inability to do what he should, and he made it clear, he says this, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what do we do when we feel stuck in that cycle of failure? We're just not getting out. We focus on our walk with the Lord. Now, does this mean it's going to get easy just like that? No, there's still going to be struggles. There's still going to be ups and downs and ebbs and flows. We're still going to potentially fall into failure. But the reality is if we're growing in Christ and we see that as the foundation of what we're wanting to see change in our lives, we will understand that God is working in us. And we may not be sinless this side of heaven, but we will sin less as followers of Christ. You see, in Christ, it is Christ in you by the spirit that brings about lasting spiritual transformation in our lives. It is not changing a behavior. It is being transformed at the moment of salvation and being continually transformed or sanctified as we walk with Christ. So do you feel like, and we're going to pause here. I know there's more on your notes there. We'll get to that next week, but I want to encourage you. Do you feel stuck this morning? Don't raise your hand. Don't say anything out loud, but do you feel stuck? Or do you feel like you're just kind of like going through the motions? I had a professor in school and I've always thought of this and I try to mention it when I think of it because he would always say a rut is just a grave with both ends knocked out. And we just get stuck in that thinking and we just feel defeated. Listen, God's people throughout all of biblical history have gotten stuck and have repeated some of the same issues. And you know what I love about those examples in scripture? It's God reminding us that, yes, there's consequences for our choices, and they saw that in biblical history, but there's also the grace of God, which goes all the way from the garden till now. It's never stopped. God's not like, nope, you've done this too many times. I'm done with you. No, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been restored, and now we want to live as those that have been restored. Uh, The New Testament epistles say it clearly. Live as your identity demands. Walk worthy of the calling. Live in a way that honors God. And when you stumble and fall, don't let your flesh or the enemy defeat you or make you think you got to stay there. No, no, you say, Lord, I'm sorry for that. Give me strength to rise above this. Thank you for your salvation, which is greater than this. Now help me to walk in a way that honors you. And so if you're here this morning and you know God is calling you to change, Let's make those changes for his glory, but realize it's not about behavior modification. It's about spiritual transformation. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you. Lord, we pray that as we go into this time of prayer and a time of communion, that you would be glorified. That everything that we've said and done, from our worship, the things we've sang, the offering we've taken, the fellowship we took part in this morning. I pray that it was all for your glory. And so, Lord, again, would you be glorified in all of this? Save those who need to be saved. Holy Spirit, would you draw them to repentance? Thank you for restoring us and making us whole. We don't need to fear because we have received the grace of God, which has gifted to us eternal life. You have conquered the grave. You have conquered death and hell. And so, therefore, one day we When we leave this world, we will conquer death as well and stand before you in eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Thank you for your grace to us, which is undeserved, unearned, freely given. And so we praise you for it. Father, be with us in our time of communion in just a few moments. Help us to partake of communion in the right way with a heart that is open before you. If we need to repent of any sin, I pray that as believers we would do that this morning. If we need to forgive someone this morning of a hurt, 
or a grudge. I pray that we would do that. Maybe they're not in the room and we can't do that literally or physically with an open and, and, and pure conscience. We ask you, surrendering to you these things that you would be glorified. Father, again, work in all of this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we are led in a song of invitation? Would you come and pray if you feel led to do so? Maybe you want to get something out between you and the Lord before you partake of communion. Maybe you want to come and just spend some time before him and thanking him for all that he's doing. Whatever it is, would you respond as we sing?